Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. Kayla, why are we talking about eye drops? Why do you think we're talking about eye drops? Probably because they killed somebody. Yes. Yes, they did. So was this a malicious killing or accidental? This was definitely a malicious killing. Okay. Well, with that being said, let this be a friendly reminder to our audience. Please do not use the information from this podcast for malicious purposes. If anything, use the information from this podcast as you did with the sodium chloride episode. And remember not to poison your friends because you think it's funny and you're pulling a prank because someone could die. Yes, murder's not cool. So don't use anything that you learn here for the big M. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell me about this one. Okay. Steve Clayton was born in South Florida in 1954. He graduated from Florida State University in 1976 and went on to be an accountant. However, he found intense success when, in the 1980s, he helped create a successful national physical therapy chain company targeting sports injuries called Physical Therapy Resources, which made him millions of dollars. He was crazy successful with this. He sold the company in 1995 and retired at the age of 40 and was very well off. He enjoyed boating, collecting art, and gardening, and he loved big. He was married so many times that his nephew Chris, with whom he was very close, actually lost count of how many times he'd been married. According to the 48 Hours interview with Chris, Steve had been married five or six times by 2010 when he met Lana Sue online. Lana was a nurse in several VA hospitals in North Carolina, and in 2013 the couple married in Charlotte. They then moved into their South Carolina Lake Wiley shoreside mansion in 2015, which was modeled after George Washington's Mount Vernon estate. So they were doing pretty well. It was very fancy. Fancy pants. On July 21st, 2018, Steve was found dead at the bottom of the stairs. At first, his death appeared to be natural. Lana was not inside at the time of his death and had been out mowing their lawn and came in to find his body. She immediately ran out of the house. A motorcyclist riding by the house was the first person to see Lana in a panic that day, and he was the one who actually called 911. While he was on the phone, Lana went and got a neighbor to come over and examine the body. There were two phones in the house, neither of which she used to call for help, and she did not perform CPR, despite her nurse training. This is all very, 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 very suspect. Why is the random dude who saw her freaking out calling 911? Why right. is she going and getting somebody else to look yeah. at the body? Like, why are we not calling 911? And like, she's a fucking nurse. Yeah. And it's hard to say how you would react in any given situation. I mean, we all sure. want to say with it, we know how we would react, but sure. I personally feel like if I were to find a loved one, I would probably attempt CPR first, especially if I had medical training. Yeah. But who's to say? Yeah. 
Right. I mean, we, we all say like, oh yeah, I'd be so cool during an emergency situation and I'd freeze or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. But all Lana, I got my eye on you. According to Lana, Steve had been ill beforehand and was experiencing vertigo to the point of being bedridden for days before the fall. Investigators found no sign of medical issues, and then they realized that Lana made no attempts to try to revive Stephen. They did see, however, the bed appeared to have been slept in recently for a prolonged period of time because it was absolutely soaked in urine. So Steve was incapacitated to the point that he could not leave his bed to relieve himself. And Lana explained that this happened to Steve when he got vertigo. And I suppose you could be like, he may have wet himself when she was out mowing the lawn. But this to me is like, that's a sign of neglect if it was like mm-hmm. soaked in it. And she has a medical right. background like it. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Big yikes. Steve's phone couldn't be found. And an officer on the scene who was a friend of the Claytons noted strange behavior from Lana, which, again, I find it difficult to read into behavior, but he did know her personally to be able to mm-hmm. compare what her behavior is like. Right. He's not a stranger who has no idea what she's like on a normal day. Right. And then she started to say some stuff that caught his attention. So at first she said that it was too much to think of funeral arrangements when the deputy coroner was like, what would you like to have done? Because they do start asking you that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And she's just burying her head in her hands. You can see it on the body cam footage that they have. She's just overwrought with emotion. And she says, I don't know. I can't. It's too much to think about. I don't know. And then they're like, okay, well, if we're, if we're not sure, we can take the body to the morgue. And we can also have a talk screen done. While you think about it and while you collect yourself and talk to family, we can have some of your questions answered. And she immediately looks up from her hands and says, how about that funeral home that's down the street? We can have them cremated. (laughs) Red flag, like (laughs) giant red flag. I I went from not talking about funeral plans to let's take him down the street and get him cremated. Immediately after they're like, we can have a talk screen done. Lana, you aren't being nonchalant right now. Like you are... I've seen too many true crime documentaries. <laughs> You're showing your hand right now pretty badly. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 bad. So let's imagine if they had cremated him mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. Can you test cremated remains for any type of drugs or toxins? Like, is there anything that you can pick up just in general? As far as this story goes, no. We wouldn't have been able to see okay. anything that is relevant to to this story that I'll get to in a couple minutes. There are some cases in which cremains can actually have value and be tested. Hmm. I think it's very, very rare that they're tested. Mm -hmm. But if they suspect heavy metal poisoning. Okay. And there are some heavy metals that show up in the cremation process, which makes it a little bit more difficult to say like Mm -hmm. yay or nay. Like this was here before the cremation, not as a byproduct of it. Right. But anything that won't be destroyed because of combustion can still probably be seen, and that usually is just heavy metals. Okay. Lana also didn't want Steve's nephew Chris to see the body or know about the death. And I I don't think that he would have necessarily been informed immediately if the cop who was the friend, his name was Nick, if Nick hadn't been their friend and, like, known the family. I think normally... They allow the next of kin, which would be the spouse in this situation, Mm. they would inform them and then say, if you want to deal with funeral and all of that, we will allow you to contact everybody. 
But if they right. can't find somebody who's willing to deal with all of that, then they kind of go down the line of next of kin. So Chris, yeah, they wouldn't would, call the nephew. No, they right. wouldn't normally call him. But Nick knew him and was like, we should get Chris involved because he's so close with Steve. And Lana was like, no, no, I don't want him here. I don't want him to know. So Nick informed Chris anyhow, because he was like, you deserve to. I don't know why you wouldn't be told want about to this. know. Yeah. And he called Chris's mother, who was Steve's sister, Rosie. And she actually expressed to Nick that she had been concerned that she hadn't been able to reach Steve by phone for three days prior to his death. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So there's I just. I cannot wait. <laughs> Why? The fuck? Red flags. Red flags. Yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere, Lana. Yeah. On the day of his death, Chris comes over after being informed by Nick of what happened. And he's just trying to help Lana get everything in order. And what he said to her was the first thing they needed to find was Steve's will because that could get everything moving along. Right. And Lana said that there was no will. And Of course she did. <laughs> and Chris said, no, I know there's a will because I'm the executor on the will. <laughs> Take that, Lana. Right. But then she insisted there was no will. In the 48 hours thing, they were actually sitting on the porch together. They had this nice little porch swing. And she stands up. And she points at him and she goes, there is no will. And she just goes inside. Like, period, end of conversation. Lana, <laughs> you are being predictable, bitch. Literally, she is going down the line of like, what does every stereotypical killer of their spouse do or say? Like, yeah. she is just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Too much. Don't be predictable, Lana. It's boring. It's boring. Don't be suspicious. You're being yeah, so suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> Later on, she explained some of her behavior by saying that she didn't want a talk screen done because there was hardcore drug abuse going on on Steve's part. And I guess Chris overheard her saying these stories. I don't know who, who to, but she was in the kitchen and she was like laughing about this hardcore drug abuse. So she's like, supposedly simultaneously shocked and she doesn't want to know what's in the talk screen because of this hardcore drug abuse but is also like being pretty candid and just whatever about it and laughing about it yeah this doesn't i don't know this isn't adding up this isn't <laughs> because like so he's 64 mm -hmm. i know that i know that there are people who are in their 60s who abuse quote unquote hardcore drugs right but usually most 64 year olds aren't mainline and eight balls of age yeah you don't you don't usually get to 64 by doing right that. <laughs> right as the investigation progressed they began to find out more about lana now two years before steve's death there was an accident big air quotes accident in which Lana shot Steve in the head with a crossbow while he was <laughs> sleeping. How do you accidentally how do you accidentally shoot somebody in the head with a crossbow while they're sleeping? Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't understand how any of this worked out because it was a minor injury. So how do you this is dark. How do you shoot someone with a crossbow point blank range and miss miss for it yeah. to be a minor injury? While right. they're sleeping, I just, what? What? And how, and how is this an accident? Like, this sounds like one of those, like, so I was on Ambien. Right? <laughs> Stories like this. Would, th that's the only thing that I can think of. It would have to be. It would have to be something like that if it's not intentional. Yeah, exactly. Like, if we were going with X, 
accident. Like, I know people do weird things while they're, like, not tired and their partner is tired in bed, but playing with a crossbow is, like, not one of them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Lana. Yeah. But... (laughs) The next crazy thing about this is that they both agreed it was an accident. Steve wakes up with a, I imagine, a head injury, and he's like, it's a total accident. No charges were filed. I think maybe medical or police got involved somehow, but, like, they were just like, let's... into a big to-do. No, they both just wanted to bury it. That's amazing. Like, Steve... They buried it so well that Chris and Nick didn't know about the crossbow incident. Do we know how it came up? I I mean, like I said, I think police or medical got involved. And so in their investigation after it Steve's was something. death, mm-hmm. yeah, they were like, oh, we have this weird report of Steve being yeah. shot with a crossbow. And then Chris and Nick are like, what the hell are you talking about? Seriously, though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. And then during the investigation, Chris mentions to the investigators that Steve had told him that his marriage was failing. And now mm. Chris may have remembered this just because it's like, this is Steve's sixth or seventh marriage or something. And so he's like, ah, buddy, another right. one. Like, right. I don't know. He may have been like, that sucks. Or he might have, I, I don't know how much weight he gave it, but I'm willing to believe that maybe this actually was a conversation that was had, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. For people who are interviewed afterwards, it seems like so many conversations are so much more weighty that I don't know how much I want to, like, put too much into them. But this seems like something where it's like, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it makes sense. I mean, because I, I understand what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. what I'm hearing you say is that in these, you know, post-interviews about a case, when they're talking to Chris, like, oh, they were doomed for right. so long. Like it, it was problems this way and that. And like, and I do know what you're saying there. So mm-hmm. like, we don't always want to go there, but I mean, with knowing about the crossbow incident, <laughs> this is a imagine, happy marriage. I things aren't going well after being woken yeah. up by being but, shot by a crossbow. <laughs> so for anybody is who, who is having relationship problems, Maybe it's not this bad. It's not being shot with a crossbow bad. Or maybe you should get out before it gets crossbow bad. Like, okay, read the room, I guess. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, this is maybe he embellished. Maybe it didn't happen. We'll never know for certain. But either way, the family was extremely suspicious. Like on the whole? By the time the investigation got going and they learned all of this, they were extremely suspicious of Lana. Okay. And like, they should be because the spouse is always the first one to be looked at. And when you're the first one to be looked at and you have this many red flags, like. Yes. Like, I would still probably, just because I'm a true crime nerd, even if the crossbow didn't happen, she was the one who called 911. She tried to do CPR. All of these things, like the will thing never happened, I would still be like, Lana, how did we get here? So, right. right. Yeah. It's, you always got to look at the partner. You do. You do. Yeah. So, autopsy results get back, and the autopsy reveals that there was nothing wrong with Steve's organs, and he had not suffered a heart attack, which is what they originally thought, that he had vertigo and suffered some sort of stroke or heart attack, something like that. And it makes sense for his age. Totally. The tox report showed no hardcore drugs, surprise, surprise, (laughs) but it did show tetrahydrosoline. What is that? Tetrahydrosoline is a colorless, odorless, tasteless chemical 
found in visine for red eyes. Ooh. This is why we're talking about eye drops. <laughs> yep. Yay. Okay. Yep. It shows up on the tox report as 68 nanograms per mil in the blood. They bring Lana in for questioning after the autopsy and the investigation has gotten going and they're like, the crossbow thing, this tetrahydrosylane. They know. They know. Uh, we know. Yeah. And in this interview that they do with Lana, I can't remember how they got started. I think they ask her if she knows what tetrahydrosylane is because it showed up on the tox report mm, and she mm-hmm. immediately knows what it is. Oh, because I wouldn't know what it is. And she could have played this off as like, I'm a nurse. Of course I know what tetrahydrosylate yeah. is. I'm a nurse. But she didn't because she said, I didn't think it would be that dangerous. He was using Visine, a couple drops in his coffee every morning, to help him go to the bathroom. She's trying to say, like, I know why I expected there to be this At the same time, it's like you're aware of this chemical, but you're not aware of how dangerous it is, but you were fully prepared for it to be in his system and at noticeable levels on a talk screen because not everything's going to come in at a level where you can see it. Right. That's a good point. That's a very good point. You can put a couple drops a day in your eyes and like your eyes and your stomach root of administration, not the same thing. But I don't think that a couple drops a day in your coffee or in your eyes, would show up on a talk screen. You shouldn't be like, oh, of course that's going to show up. There's just so much where it's like, your story doesn't make sense, Lana. You are so inconsistent. Yeah. <laughs> she really was her her own worst enemy here. I mean, yeah. I feel like they would have figured it out. They, they would have likely figured it out if she didn't make things harder on herself. Right. I mean... But, I think they still would have figured it out if even if she was like, what's tetrahydrosylate? What? Right. But instead, right. she just played right into it. Yeah. So I have heard of this with Visine with eye drops before. I've heard it used as a prank, like in anecdotal stories, mm-hmm. like, oh, somebody did that to whatever. Anyhow, I know it from Wedding Crashers because mm-hmm. there's a scene in Wedding Crashers where they put it in Bradley Cooper's drink. So that Owen Wilson could get more FaceTime with Rachel McAdams while oh, okay. Bradley Cooper is in the bathroom shitting his brains out. So A, I didn't know if it was true. Mm-hmm. And B, I didn't know that you could kill somebody that way. Yes. So yeah. wedding crashers. <laughs> yeah. Cool guys. Yeah. I imagine if they gave him enough that he was experiencing gastrointestinal distress he probably realistically wouldn't have. He would have probably experienced an arrhythmia or something. He would have had worse symptoms. Like, yeah. He, well, and he could have possibly died if, like... Totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, because damn. even when she's like, oh, he put it in his coffee as a laxative, like, that's not that's not something that you do, and it's not something that you would want to do because it does not act as a laxative. Well, and that was going to be my next question was like, is it safe to do that for prolonged periods of time? Like, let's say that Steve's preferred laxative was Visine. Is that a, that's not a thing? Because like you just said with Bradley Cooper, like it'd be dangerous to get in that window of like it causes yeah. the symptom that you want. You know, you want to evacuate your bowels. Right. But yeah. you don't want it to kill you. I think that, like I said, word of administration is important, but I think that one or two drops every day probably wouldn't really do anything because you can put one or two drops in your eyes and your eyes, you know, they are very mm-hmm. fluid and it soaks into the mucosa. And so I assume that it gets into your system just as well as soaking into the mucosa mm-hmm. of your intestinal tract. 
So I don't think that it would necessarily do anything. Like it really should just be used for eye redness and that's it. But if you're putting in enough that you would experience a laxative effect instead of giving you a heart attack, like, yeah, you couldn't do that for a prolonged period before you just croaked. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, <laughs> but I'm going to put my toe in it. It's the whole, like, just because you can use it for that reason doesn't mean you should. Like, no. there are things that are laxatives that you yeah. can use as laxatives. You don't have to use eye drops. No. Just like you don't have to use like an antiparasitic medication to treat a virus. So oh. just because it it might work doesn't mean it's always the best. Shots fired. I personally prefer Colace. Metamucil is oh great. And Miralax, those are my go-tos. If anybody's <laughs> on that Visine train for their laxative, stop. Where are we? Get me back on track because now we... <laughs> I dipped a toe in and I didn't mean to derail it completely, but I, it's nice to hear your laugh. I love your laugh. So after all this information comes out in this interview where she knows what tetrahydrosaline is and she explains it away that Steve was trying to use it as a laxative in his coffee, they're like... No, Lana. No. <laughs> so now her story starts to change once she realizes that she's like painted into a corner. Mm -hmm. And she starts to say that Stephen had mood disorders. He was bipolar. He was easily angered. He would become verbally abusive towards her. Why are we jumping right to bashing on somebody's mental illness? Right. How did we get from he uses it as a laxative to... He's bipolar and abusive. Right. And this feels like it's just short of a confession because it feels like this is her trying to explain, well, I did give him the Visine intentionally, but you have to understand. And it's like- I'm a victim uh, here. Yeah. The white women- Is she white? I, did, I shouldn't assume, Oh, yeah. No, but she she's, is. She's, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so here come the white women tears, like pouring. He was so abusive. Yeah, So she leaves the interview without giving a full confession. But shortly thereafter, I think they were interviewing her again in her home and she fully confesses. She states that she became angry while standing at Steve's bedside, saw the visine and squirted the whole thing into his water while he was sleeping. So she's just like watching this man sleep, presumably while he's already ill. And she gets angry with him. And puts the whole thing into his water. Damn. Yeah. If I have to guess, because it sounded like he had some health issues, mm -hmm. it sounds like he urinated in the bed. And Oh, that could have been it. That could have been it. But here's the thing is that they think that he was ill because she was slowly poisoning him with small doses just before uh, the final bolus that killed him. Oh. Uh, so if he wet the bed, it was her fault. What a twat. Yeah. Yeah. And now, at first, after she admits to poisoning him, mm -hmm. she seemed to show concern or remorse. But then she made some more confessions about why she did it. And she Ooh. admitted that she poisoned him because she wanted him to suffer. And she was tired of his constant demands, which included, come here and help me to the bathroom. Those are his constant demands. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know what his health was like before, and I don't want to make any assumptions, but, like, in a lot of the pictures that they show of him, he just kind of looks puffy. Mm. In the pictures where he's not sick, he just kind of looks puffy. And so I don't know if maybe that's just how he looked 
or if he had something going on, but it kind of sounds like he had something going on and he did need help when he wasn't being poisoned and she got tired of that. It's her excuse is what she was saying. It's again too where like her allegations come out that he was abusive and later she'll try to argue that he was also physically abusive to her when she's trying to really save her ass. She'll be like, he was physically abusive, he was emotionally abusive. In the 48 hours interviews, his family is like, I never saw that. That's not the man I knew. And all of his exes are like, no, no, no. He was never like that. That's how abuse dynamics work. That they're two different people. Right. And so I put absolutely no weight into those statements. And somebody who is in poor health could certainly lash out and be abusive. So I'm not saying that that's a total improbability. But I do not believe that that is the case here. I don't either. And I have a lot of problems with this. I have a lot of problems with it for a lot of different reasons. If you start to resent your partner, like your family member, because their health has deteriorated so much. And like, even if she wasn't a nurse, like the spouse is usually going to be the caretaker in situations like this. Right. Mm -hmm. And that gets hard. And that is a lot on a relationship and not everybody is built for that. Right. And I can respect that. There are ways to handle it if you resent your loved one without killing them. Yeah. If you get to a point where you're like, I resent you so much that I want to quote unquote, make you suffer. There's another option besides murder. Well, and she, she says that she still never wanted to kill him. She wanted him to have diarrhea, suffer and be miserable. So she's still saying I never wanted to kill him. But if you're like, oh, I want you to suffer, like you need therapy. Yeah. Y'all need therapy. Yeah. He needs to either get some home health care or be put in a care home of some kind, something, Mm -hmm. you know? And then the other problem that I have with it is that there are cases where somebody was abused emotionally and physically Mm -hmm. and they get to their wits end and do lash out. And I want to tread lightly and not say like, oh, if somebody's abusing you, you can kill them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that here, but what I am saying is that there are people who have been abused and have been mistreated Mm -hmm. for years, decades. And because of that, they hit a wall at some point and lose their shit and murder somebody. And there are times where that is a very solid defense, you know? And this goes back to white women tears when- She's crying about it yeah, and saying, oh my God, he was mentally ill and abusive Uh and I just couldn't take it anymore. There are plenty of people out there who are unfortunately being abused who aren't poisoning people. So just don't make that shit up. It's not okay. Later when she's like, oh, he was physically abusive. She tries to say that the crossbow incident happened because she was trying to defend herself. And it seems like she was trying to defend herself against supposed physical abuse. Yeah. So he was sleeping and I was defending myself from that sleep. I was fearful for my life because of how hard he was sleeping at me. I just, I don't, I can't. So we know Lana did it. She confesses. She gives all these bullshit excuses because they're not reasons. These are excuses. Despite all of this, she's not taken into custody after her confession. Instead, pending an arrest warrant, she was left in the mansion by herself. Which I feel is a rich white woman thing. Well, yeah. (laughs) And especially because she's a rich white woman, she could leave. 
Yeah, well, she doesn't try to leave physically, but she does attempt suicide by taking pills and turning the gas on. Oh. But a neighbor found her and called for help. After being discharged, she was then taken into police custody. Excellent. Lana Clayton was formally charged with murder just over a month after Steve's death on August 21st, 2018. Steve's family speculate that Lana killed him for his money. And again, like, I try not to put a whole lot of weight into too much from people who aren't investigators and who don't see everything from a third-party perspective, things like Mm -hmm. that. But I think that what they say makes sense. When Steve and Lana moved from North Carolina to South Carolina in 2015 or 2016, she may have already been plotting. Because in South Carolina, if you die without a will, you die intestate. And all of your estate goes to your spouse. Oh. Ah. And the neighbors reportedly, this is where they kind of lose me, but Rosie, Steve's sister, had pictures Mm. of this. The neighbors reportedly saw Lana burning paper in her fire pit the day after Steve died. And Rosie has pictures of burnt papers in the fire pit. After the same day where she insisted to Chris that there was no will, despite the fact that he knew that there had to be one. She's not good at this whole murder thing. No. No, because you know what this reminds me of? Is the Lizzie Borden case, where they see her burning a dress the day after she killed her parents. And she was like, oh, that dress was awful. And it's like, was it awful because it was evidence? So awful that you had to burn it? Like, you had to start a fire and burn it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Lana was held in the York County Jail for a year and a half until she was sentenced. On January 16, 2020, Lana, who was 53 at the time, pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and tampering with a food or drug and was sentenced to 25 years. And she got this because of a plea deal. They were originally going to sentence her much more harshly, but she pled guilty. Okay. I mean, save the whole rigmarole of the trial and the evidence. Like, I get it. I mean, if she serves her whole sentence, she'll be, what, 78? Yeah. She should be friends with Rita Mays. Because they were both nurses at the VA. (laughs) Let's get the little cell block with all of the, like, murderous VA nurses. (laughs) Maybe we should do a better background check on VA nurses. Although Rita Mays wasn't even a nurse. She was a nurse's assistant. You're right. Yeah, fuck those two. Seriously, though. So, the whole case was because of tetrahydrosoline. So what is tetrahydrosoline? It's interesting because... Tetrahydrosoline was actually approved by the FDA the same year that Steve Clayton was born. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Really dark irony, right? It is dark. I like almost wanted to do an aww, but then it's like, (laughs) uh, what do you make instead of the aww? Because I mean, it's something where I'm like, oh. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, that one. I like that one. Oh. Yeah, so it's found in Visine and a couple other eye drops brand. But tetrahydrosoline is the compound that's responsible for the whole get the red out. Okay. Which always makes me think of Ben Nye. Ben Stein? Ben Stein. And those commercials from the 90s. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. He's the best. He's (laughs) the best. Get the red out. (laughs) Yeah, because tetrahydrosoline constricts the, the blood vessels in your eyes. Oh, that makes sense. So it's not really like doing anything except for just making it so constricted. Yeah. Does it rob your eyes of oxygen in some weird way? I don't think so because I think it's the same thing as taking Excedrin for a headache where it'll like expand or constrict the Mm. blood vessels to relieve Mm -hmm. your headache. It's not like reducing irritation. It's just reducing redness. I never understood 
why eye drops. I mean, I'm a Roto's girl, red cap, <laughs> the ones that burn. Like, if you know, you know. If you why know, would you know. You use those? Why would because you use eye drops that they're burn? They're so good. Anybody who knows, I need somebody to please write us on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok if you use Roto's red caps or green caps. I don't care. Just Roto's. They are. Hashtag not sponsored, the best to get the red out, in my opinion. So now I'm going to have to go look to see if they have the tetrahydrazoline. I don't think think they do because it doesn't look like that's one of the brands that I have here. So I okay. don't think that they do. Yeah. Interesting. Well, now I want to know how they're so good. Because they're not poisoning you. Although the <laughs> FDA does consider the risk for tetrahydrazoline to be low. They want to be very clear that it's for external use only, which I find odd. The eyes are considered external use because I consider eyes to be internal because it's a mucosa thing. Yeah. I never really thought about that. Like I wouldn't put lotion on my eye. That's an external use thing. No. I feel like eyes need their own category. Yeah. For ophthalmic use only. (laughs) Yeah. Because like you said, I'm not going to put lotion on my eyeballs. So they say to just keep it out like. Low risk. Keep it out of reach of children. That sort of thing. So are there other things in the medicine cabinet that are in that same, like, it's not dangerous, dangerous, but don't let kids get in it? I mean, I would think that most things are like that because you have to have a kid's version for Benadryl and Mm -mm. aspirin and all of that. But I tried to look and see if there was some way that they describe low risk or minimal risk. Mm -hmm. And all I was able to find on the part of the FDA is minimal risk as it applies to clinical research. And so minimal risk means the probability and magnitude of harm or discomfort anticipated is not greater in and of themselves than those ordinarily encountered in daily life. Okay. Which, I mean, says nothing. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of words to say, fuck around and find out. Yeah. And I mean, if you do clinical research, they have like a breakdown of this is what a low risk device is because the FDA has to look into devices as well. And this is what well, a low which risk. Which is good. Right, right. There's a specific device that the FDA started that because of. And I think it's actually the Dicon Shield. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. So there's research minimal risk. And then I went and I found what the DEA considers minimal risk. And so. Mm. Schedule 4 drugs are considered drug substances or chemicals defined as having a low potential for abuse and a low risk of dependence. And again, this is DEA and FDA, and I'm not sure how often they actually meet and agree with Mm, each other. mm -hmm. And also, I don't know how much I even agree with this as far as Schedule 4 drugs having a low risk of dependence and abuse because they talk about Xanax, Darvacet, Valium, Ativan, and Tramadol. Uh, yeah. So Xanax, you're going to tell me that's a low risk of dependence. Get the fuck out. You can't safely like cold turkey Xanax for a reason. Right. And schedule five drugs are the lowest possible schedule. And these are drugs defined as having lower potential for abuse than schedule four and containing limited quantities of certain narcotics. And they're generally used for anti-diarrheal, anti-tessive and analgesic purposes. And so these ones specifically say 200 milligrams or less of codeine, Robitussin, and Lyrica, which I think is like a... Fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia drug. My mom's on it. Yeah. So, again, I'm not sure exactly how well I agree with those. I don't know how well the DEA and the FDA agrees, but that's as best I could find about what low risk means. Yeah, I highly disagree with that (laughs) Schedule 4 list. Well, and I mean, it seems like it kind of matches up with, you know, low risk being tetrahydrosoline because... 
used appropriately. And I guess that's where you draw the line is, are you using it for its intended use and appropriately? Yeah, it's fine. You know, it'll do what it's supposed to do. It'll do what we know it to do. But Mm -hmm. if used inappropriately, tetrahydrosylene makes visine for red eyes one of the most dangerous types of eye drops compared to the other kinds of eye drops you can use. Well, and that's why I'm like really curious. Like I'm going to go down a little rabbit hole when we get done recording (laughs) because now I like have to know all the things about (laughs) eye drops now. So I went and I looked at ingredients in different types of eye drops. And you specifically Mm. wanted to know about natural tears eye drops. And because I could spend literally all day looking into all the different kinds, I just looked at natural tears. And so Mm -hmm. I looked up Visine Dry Eye, Clear Eyes Natural Tears, uh, Refresh Tears, and Genteel Tears. Okay. And now all of these have different ingredients. So Visine has polyethylene glycol. The Clear Eyes has polyvinyl alcohol and povidone. Refreshed Tears has carboxymethylcellulose sodium. And Genteel Tears are made of dextran, glycerin, and hypromellose. And so most of these are considered non-toxic. Okay. And they're considered non-toxic because they have had acute toxicity estimates done. And they do not meet the criteria for toxicity on them oral toxicity in rats, the LD50 for polyethylene glycol is over two grams per kilogram, which is a lot. We know about how small these LD50s can be, Mm -hmm. and two grams is a lot. Right. For the clear eyes, polyvinyl alcohol, an oral LD50 dose for a rat is over two grams per Mm -hmm. kilogram. And it's actually even considered harmless by the Environmental Working Group and the Cosmetic Ingredient Review, which are both two groups who, like, kind of crack down and they're like, what do you mean by non-toxic? What do you really mean by that? Gotcha. Povidone, again, has an acute toxicity criteria that has not been met. Their rat oral LD50 is over 100 grams per kilogram. Oh, shit. And that one is said to perhaps cause skin, eye, and respiratory tract irritation, but it seems like it would have to be pretty high. Yeah, I mean, 100 grams. Like, two grams is a lot. Yeah. Okay. Refresh tears, the carboxymethylcellulose. Those are the ones I have. The acute toxicity estimate criteria has not been met, and the rat oral LD50 is over two grams. All right. All right. The most dangerous one, if you could say that, is genteel, because the glycerin actually does have a reported LDLO, which is the lowest lethal dose, and that's in humans. And that's mm. reported to be 1.4 grams per kilograms per human. Yeah. So, I mean, you would still need quite a bit. And if you were to get that much, you would end up with headache, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, things like that. So, potentially, those eye drops could hurt somebody. However... There's not enough glycerin in one bottle of this eye drop to hurt anybody. Gotcha. It sounds like, quote unquote, natural tears things are safer than the other option, like visine eye drops, the redness relief stuff. Right. Exactly. Got it. Okay. All right. So do you want to know how tetrahydrosylene acts on the body? I'd love to. Tetrahydrosylene is a direct acting sympathomimetic, which means that it produces physiological effects characteristic of the sympathetic nervous system by promoting stimulation of sympathetic nerves. So it acts on the sympathetic nervous system rather than the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, xenobiotics, so 
you know, foreign substances that you put in your body whose okay. sympathomimetic actions result from direct binding to alpha androgenic receptors are called direct acting, which means tetrahydrosoline acts on androgenergic receptors. And an androgenergic pathway is responsible for the flight or flight response by releasing catecholamines and mm -hmm. adrenaline from the adrenal gland. This is compared to cholinergic pathways that are in charge of the digest and rest. Got it. Okay. And most of these do not cross the blood-brain barrier in significant quantities, which is good to know. What is the blood-brain barrier? The blood-brain barrier is a fun thing that our body has to protect our brains from all of the crap that we can put into our bodies, which actually, on a forensic toxicology note, makes the brain really useful in forensic toxicological research. Because your body can have all of this stuff around it and it has all of these organs that when you die, like, the pH can shift and mm -hmm. different things will cross, you know. But if, so mm -hmm. if stuff has crossed the blood-brain barrier, it's just going to stay up there. And the pH isn't going to change significantly enough that, like, I don't know if they took meth, you know, because all the pH has changed around. Like, the brain holds on to that stuff. So the brain is super cool. So when it crosses that blood-brain barrier, that means it's like in the brain. It's in the brain. And the blood-brain okay. barrier is a structural and functional block to all of the stuff that can happen in the rest of the body. It can block bacteria, fungi, viruses, parasites, anything that's in the bloodstream. And that's part of why meningitis is so fucked up because it's one of the few things that can get up there. Got it. So this means like the blood-brain barrier is an actual thing. Yeah, it's, it's an actual thing, but it's also functional. Got so there's, okay. there's certain drugs that just don't cross. Okay. Tetrahydrosoline is a type of imidazoline. I'm not going to say that word correctly. It just means that it's based on the imidol compound, which is a cyclic structure that's common in a lot of alkaloids. And so structurally, it's related to clonidine. The tetrahydrosoline is? Yeah. Weird. So in an overdose, imidazolines such as tetrahydrosoline can cause central nervous system depression and brief hypertension followed by hypotension, brachycardia, and respiratory depression. And so these were all things that were being noted in Lana's description of Steve's behavior. Mm. And it was probably that he was experiencing some of this and was like, this is not good. And maybe got that like second wind, so to speak, where he was like, I need to get out because something's not okay. Mm -hmm. Ended up on the stairs. And mm -hmm. then it kind of sounds like they think he had a cardiac event or went into that respiratory depression on the stairs or as soon as he reached the bottom. I wasn't sure if they found any blunt force injuries indicative of falling mm -hmm. down the stairs or not. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in his path to essentially escape, this kicked in. Damn. That's too bad. Yeah, it really is. So what happens if you do drink eye drops? If you do end up drinking eye drops that contain tetrahydrosoline especially, you know, you'll end up with toxic levels of it in your blood. And it will be circulated through your body slightly differently than if you put it in your eyes because it's just sort of going through your liver and going through that first pass metabolism and it's in the blood rather than being like absorbed by your mucosa. Mm -hmm. So it'll, it'll be absorbed quickly. And when it's in the gastrointestinal tract, it'll start to act on the central nervous system, like I said. And so you can start to get that arrhythmia. You can feel drowsy. Your breathing will slow. Things like that. You can end up in a coma even. So you won't end up with any gastrointestinal symptoms at all. Like, that's not a thing that happens. Yeah, it goes right into the bad news bears. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like most poisons, especially 
these household poisons that are considered like generally safe, safe when used as directed. Children are at the greatest risk of being poisoned because they'll find the bottle in your purse and they'll be like, oh, fun drink. And then they'll drink the bottle. And children will have the same sort of symptoms exhibited, but generally with a smaller quantity, which makes sense because they're so small. Right. Well, and and maybe quicker too, right? Because they're so small. Well, and just children's metabolisms work in such a weird way, which is why we Mm -hmm. have to have baby aspirin and all of that. So in general, if they consume more than a milliliter, and there's 15 mils in most bottles. So if they consume more than a milliliter, that's when it's like, okay, we have to do something about this. We have to get you immediate medical attention. Okay. And just so everybody knows, I don't know how often you deal with droppers for like the cats or for yourself, but most droppers, including eye drops, 20 drops is a milliliter. So if you need to get Oh, so it's quite a bit. Yeah. You could put quite a bit in your eyes over the course of a day and be fine and be generally okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I'm in front of my computer 10 plus hours a day. And Mm -hmm. so my eyes get quite red. Right. And that makes sense. Quite red. And so I use them a lot. So I was a little nervous about that. Like, (laughs) oh my God, am I making myself sick? Is this why I'm chronically ill? Like shit. (laughs) I mean, you might still consider switching to the natural tears, but I think that you're generally okay yeah well i'm gonna i gotta look at what the ingredient is on the rotos but it's just crazy to me that it's such a small amount yeah can be toxic and i'm going to preface this with one more time do not murder people yeah do not take information from the show to murder people or yourself okay (laughs) no (laughs) self-murder yeah so but that's what's crazy good about this as a poison if i were Because you said that it's odorless, colorless, and tasteless. Mm -hmm. That's scary. Except that the fact that it came up in the screen, and I don't know what kind of equipment they have in South Carolina at the coroner's office or wherever it is that they send their samples, but the fact that it came up in the screen, I would guess that it came up on either a GCMS or an LCMS blood screen. And that's when they take a sample of your blood and they scan it for basic drugs and just everything comes up and they can see if you've had cigarettes and coffee and tramadol. And that's what they do to see what they need to test for and quantitate. And so the fact that it came up means that it's in those libraries and it will come up in a general screen for most laboratories is how I interpret that. So it's not like it's foolproof, like it's tasteless and odorless. And if you're in a place where they don't perform autopsies, say in a loved one because I'm not trying to suggest that anybody use this like it might not be found if something happens to a loved one of yours right but But it definitely could be found very easily yeah so what Kayla is saying is if you fuck around you're gonna get caught yeah you're not gonna find out you'll get caught but in a simpler time when we didn't have these Mm. tests Mm -hmm. like yeah yeah wild okay I did some rough calculations, and so there's toxicity data for tetrahydrosylene. The lowest oral dose for a child is 175 milligrams per kilogram, and the LD50 for rats given tetrahydrosylene orally is 785 milligrams per kilogram. So based on my very, very rough estimates, Steve would have started to feel ill around 3.4 nanograms per mil, and he would have started to experience real symptoms of toxicity at 15.2 nanograms per mil. 
but he was found to have had at his time of death 68 nanograms per mil of tetrahydrosylate in his blood. Yeah, that's a lot, Lana. Mm -hmm. Lana. Lana. I don't (laughs) care if I said her name wrong. I'm sorry. I don't care. No, that's crazy. I mean, that's like four times the amount. Yeah, crazy amount. It was crazy high because she just gave him the whole bottle and she admitted she just put the whole bottle in his water. There were days leading up to it that they couldn't get a hold of Steve. And so I'm wondering if she did start it and then she was just like, this is taking too long. I'm done. I have no idea. Lana, let us know. (laughs) They let you listen to podcasts in prison. So we were talking about like, if somebody drinks it, what will happen to them? So Mm -hmm. what should you do if you're like a third party in that situation? Like if you're a parent and you realize Mm -hmm. your kid, Mm -hmm. you should not induce vomiting. That is, they do recommend against that for most things. Interesting. Like, I know you and I grew up in the era of, like, Epicac, but, like, Yeah, and, like, get it out. Make them throw it up. Get it out. It'll be good for them. They don't recommend that as much anymore. Sometimes they, like, pump your stomach, but, like, Mm -hmm. I think that is significantly less violent than inducing vomiting because that can rip your esophagus. Right. So I don't think that they recommend that for, like, anything anymore. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to cover Epicac someday because that was a weird holdover from, like, us – being obsessed with purgatives forever and another one i know it wasn't so much as a purgative but as a laxative like i remember like everybody was all about the like mineral spirits oh yeah do you yeah well and isn't there a scene in stand by me with the mineral oil it's mineral oil yeah mineral oil yeah yeah Yeah. i can't watch that movie for that reason yeah like i i want to watch it i just i know that scene is there and i can't do it yeah, we should cover we should cover that. That would okay. be fun. Yeah. Okay. So when somebody is experiencing, I guess it would be overdose because you can take a normal amount and be fine. So if somebody has drank a bottle and they're experiencing overdose, you generally just need to be monitored. You need to make sure that they don't stop breathing. They could be intubated. They might need fluid support because it does do that, you know, blood vessel constriction. It's just general, like, monitoring at the hospital. And it seems like people can recover from poisoning. And I've seen more than one article and, like, journal report saying that naloxone could potentially be useful against an overdose. And I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And even in a pediatric setting, it seems like they've used naloxone to reverse it. That's really interesting. But it's not well known. I think that there's still like this is like a new kind of thing. So I mean, if if, if you're at home, like don't give your kid Narcan. You're Narcan, but they might at the hospital. And even at the hospital, it seems like they're unlikely to pump your stomach or anything like that. So I think it really is just making sure that your heart is still beating and your lungs are still breathing for you. And if they're not giving you that, I don't know how long it takes to recover, but it doesn't seem like. I don't think this is one of the things where a lot of people die from this regularly. I think that it is, I think you can recover well from it at the hospital. If it's caught. If it's caught. And I don't think okay. that it happens super often. Well, then that begs the question, do we know of any other cases of murder by eye drops? Murder most foul. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Okay, tell me more. Three weeks after Lana's arrest, there was another death 12 miles away in Mount Holly, North Carolina, where a man who was a paramedic poisoned his wife. She actually had a history of two heart attacks. She was 
very young. She was very young. She had had two heart attacks, had a pacemaker. And so when they found her, they were like, oh, this heart attack was the last one and it got her. But then her mother realized that the husband collected almost $250,000 from life insurance policies taken out on her behalf. So the, the mother was like, this doesn't seem right. And she actually filed an insurance fraud claim okay. based on this. Well, and I'm the, sure the insurance company's like, yeah, we'd love to not pay that out. Let's it, look into this. Right, right. And like he did have her cremated immediately because <sighs> I guess there was no autopsy or anything. And actually, I think in the 48 hours thing, because they mentioned this at the end, he okay. said that he didn't want her body cut up. And so he didn't write... Yeah, of course you did. Oh, my God. Yeah, you guys missed it, but giant eye roll. But she was an organ donor, and so they had taken a vial of her blood because I think – I'm not exactly sure how the um, donor program works. I only worked with it, like, way on the sidelines of that whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I think they had to take some of her blood to test it for any diseases – and so they had some of her blood, and they were able to test that, and they found tetrahydrosoline. Oh, fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. I love science. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, sometimes the system works. Yeah, sometimes it works. Even if he was trying to be like, no, no, nothing suspicious, he was drawing a lot of attention to himself because less than a month before he was arrested for this murder, so her body's already cremated, but everything's Mm -hmm. suspicious, insurance fraud and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Less than a month before he was arrested, he was arrested and charged with arson for starting a fire inside a helicopter in flight. That is n- very much not keeping a low <laughs> profile, my guy. Yeah. Dumbass. Don't. Unfortunately, he wasn't charged with anything until 15 months after the death of his wife. Mm. And so it took a while for his, whereas Lana was charged a month after his right. 15 months. And he was let free on bail and so he is out and still awaiting a trial date Mm. yeah so that one is still pending that one we'll need to do an update for well i wait with baited press i want to know more about setting a fucking helicopter on fire though like what why why and like was it he was a paramedic so it's like was it a flight for life like what are you what i have so many questions (laughs) so many more than answers yeah yeah well, interesting. I mean, so did they think that it might be like a copycat? They do. They think that he heard about it and was like, oh, well, if I'm on top of it and don't ask for an autopsy. And there are experts who fear that people who know about this will use it and it will go undetected because they aren't routinely screened mm-hmm. by every lab. But like I said, a lot of labs do screen. And it's fucking obvious that people who are out for monetary gain are out for monetary gain. Like, if somebody in your life dies that you care about, you do act differently. I- I'm not going to say how no. you act differently. Right. But you but act you do. differently. Yeah. You do. And karma's a bitch. So. Yeah. And money can't buy you happiness. It can mm-hmm. buy things that can help sometimes. But, like, that big insurance payout, you're going to have another void in your soul soon enough. So, Yeah. Murder is uncool. Yeah, we have to say it so often, but don't murder people. Don't murder people. (laughs) Get help before you want to go down the murder route. Get therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, therapy's great, guys. So this was one where I was very much like, okay, this is going to be another I'm leaving the episode scared. And I don't feel so much scared, but I, I am just like, huh. People are like walking around with like a potential murder weapon in their purse. 
And I'm literally like after this going to hit up my few friends who have very small children <laughs> and tell them, fuck up the bison. Yeah. <laughs> It's always kids who are getting poisoned. Yeah, anytime, that's, well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, anytime I go into the poison control website because I have a question, they're mostly like, "Do you have toddlers?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> I don't." That's funny. But yeah, be safe out there. Yeah, and be nice. If you have a problem with your loved one or a family member, get help. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison. <laughs> <laughs>